Artcentric Podcast with Rafi and Klee. Hola, you amazing artists. It's Rafi and Klee. And today we've got some cool questions that we're going to be talking about. Uh, what are the questions, Klee? Well, two of the questions are surrounding pricing your work. And one is dealing with like a thing that's just not working. Right. Um, I love all these questions. So let's get this party started. Let's start with uh, two muses. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love this question because it's it's something that originally when uh, when I was dealing with this, it gives you the impression that like you're not good at what you do. It can be um, a little <laughs> disheartening. Yeah. yeah. So um, the question is, uh, have you or Clee ever had a commission that you struggled with beyond anything before? And how did you deal with it? I'm currently working on a pet portrait that I have repainted three times about to do it a fourth time. And I just can't nail it. I have never had this much trouble. Anyway, enjoy some down today. And thanks for all you do for us out there. Oh, well, thank you. Um, yeah. I actually, right now, one of the portraits that I'm working on, I've had to redo that portrait about three times. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest with you, I, I, whenever I do run into this, and I don't run into it as often anymore, but I did run into it a lot uh, towards the first few years, because when, especially when you're taking on a commission, um, it's easy to second guess yourself to overthink it, to overthink it. And when you second guess yourself, chances are you're going to head in a direction that you don't want to head in. Um, So with this particular portrait that I'm working on, it's a very personal, very powerful portrait. Uh, And I wanted right from the get go. I'm like, I got to get this right. Right, which is b- terrible. You don't want to do that to yourself. You don't want to set yourself up. It's not about getting a painting right or getting an, a, a work of art right. It's about just getting in there and creating something that you love. Yeah. Um, now, if you don't love it and you're running into problems, that's where. Yeah, but if but that's the thing. Like if that that small hint of motivation is there, like I'm going to work on something that I love, and thus. What ends up happening is you end up going with techniques and things that you're used to, right? Right. You're not second guessing yourself. And so when you get in there and you're like, I'm going to create something that they love. It puts a little pressure. It does put a lot of pressure. And yes, sometimes bad decisions are made from that place of feeling stressful, being too precious about it, as Rafi likes to say. Yeah, you can't be... you. When it comes to creating something, I feel like that's... That's the hurdle um, because, you, you know, just about everything you create, you're going to go through that through that reverse bell curve where like you get started on something. You're like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And then, you know, you go de- and then all of a sudden you're at the bottom where you're like, this sucks. Everything I do sucks. <laughs> I can't get anything right. And then, you know, you you keep pushing through that and you keep creating, you keep tweaking. And then you start getting to a point where you're like, oh, okay, this is working now. This is, you know, and then from that moment that that confidence starts to set back in, then it's all, you know, it's all gravy. Like yeah. it, it all, it you know. Things I, seem to fall together. I have very rarely, I have, but I've very, very rarely screwed up a piece towards the end where it, totally discouraged me. It has happened to you. I remember there was one piece in particular that everything was dialed in except for the eyes. Yeah. And there was just something 
off about the eyes yep. and you kept reworking the eyes and it was getting worse for a while. Yep. I kept reworking <laughs> the eyes and it kept getting worse. And then I'd go back, then I'd leave it, you know, cause that's, it's important when you're working on something and you're staring at it for like an hour or so, or in my case with that one, it was like three hours of staring at the same thing. Then you, you do have to walk away. You have to call it and be like, you know what? I'll, come back to this tomorrow mm -hmm. without feeling the the key there is not feeling like you failed for the day. I Definitely. think that that's, that's the important thing. I think that that's the, the magic that I'm able to bring to something is that I understand at the end of it, like, okay, I didn't fail. I just need a break. That's it. Totally. Um, because yeah, you could easily just get to that point where it's like, you keep struggling, you keep pushing and you keep pushing and then everything you're doing because you're trying to push through it. Um, just seems to make it worse to the yeah. point where you have to start over. I know when I start making mistake after mistake after mistake, it's time to walk away. Hi, Weirdly. Hi, Hi Kirkland. Weirdly. Hi, Kirkland. Hi, Linda. Uh, so for everybody listening to this, if you're listening to this podcast, we have our brilliant and amazing rogues here with us. So if you hear us reading comments, that's coming in from them. They usually add so much uh, great insight and information into the podcast, which is why I think our podcasts are amazing. Indeed. It's, it's due to them. So Rogue fam, uh, on that note, feel free to chime in. What do you do when you're just not getting the result? Yeah. One of the things that I've seen Rafi do before when he's really stuck, when something is off and like he's told me he, if he's not sure what exactly is the problem he'll flip the painting upside down or sideways to get a different vantage point on it yeah um and oftentimes the problem area will re reveal itself it does you have to think about it this way like if you're staring think about it the way that uh like if you're staring at your phone right and then you look away and then all of a sudden you see this little like square uh, image illusion the appear. Ghost phone the image. ghost phone image appear everywhere, right? Um, what happens is you start staring at something and you're looking at something and you're like, this isn't working and I'm not really sure what it is. And your brain is trying to make sense of the image, right? So like a lot of times some, some of the information gets deleted, distorted. You know, like when we talk about the fact that your brain deletes, distorts, um, and delete, uh, d d just, generalizes information like it could happen with everything including a painting that you're working on so sometimes it's just getting a different perspective uh flipping the painting around uh looking at it from a different angle maybe changing the lighting in there taking it outside um that always works for me like when something just doesn't feel right with mm -hmm. the work uh yeah the first thing i'll do is is flip it upside down the other thing that I'll do too is take a photograph of it. Oh, totally. Because then I'm looking at a smaller image of it. And you might be able to pinpoint. Yeah. Especially if I'm right up on the canvas uh, for like for several hours really oh, yeah, trying to you do can, detail. You can really lose perspective when you're right up on something. Yeah. Clover said um, she likes to take a break and work on something else. I literally have like four crafts to bounce between. And she also flips the canvas over. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Charity said, I always just look at it like I'm not finished. I'll use a mirror to get another perspective. Beautiful. I love that. I love oh, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Linda does that too. Looking at it in a mirror helps sometimes. Yeah, because you're flipping the image around. Mm -hmm. So whereas you're at, yeah, because we, we, 
we try to measure up things and make them perfect, right? So we try to make them symmetrical with our brains. And when they're not, when something's not working, flipping it backwards is, that's brilliant. I love that. I love that. Clover said, OMG, I always send my work in progress to friends. I immediately know what's wrong. Also, sorry about the pronouns, Clover. Thank you for that (laughs) note. Um, One of the things I do, which is not going to be applicable to everyone's process, but this is something I employ if I if I'm doing something for the first time, so I I don't know exactly how it's going to go, or if it's something that I know is going to be challenging for me, is I won't make one, I'll make two, and so one of them is like my prototype, if you will, and I'm going to try and make all of my errors and mistakes, especially if I have to make something in gold, then I'll make one in gold and one in silver, and I'll make all of my I'll do all my testing on the silver one to see what works and what doesn't work. And then I'll do it again on the gold piece. So basically prototyping, which really is great for when you're doing 3D work, if you're building something. But it could also be great if you are creating a piece that's either a little outside your wheelhouse or you just know it's going to be a challenge just to kind of have a rough draft going and then when you get something that's working, kind of transfer it over to the what's going to be the finished yep. Yep. Um, thing. Uh, Clover said, also, thumbnailing in Sketchbook really helps me with, with composition. composition. Yes, yes. Totally. I mean, and that's the thing. It's like you got to – a lot of times me flipping it over um, – will not really put it'll still feel off and i'll look at it and that's when you just go through the gamut you run through the gamut of all the different things that you could do in order to give yourself a different perspective ginger said i'll do that too especially with acrylics basically using two until one is borked enough to be out of the running exactly beautiful i love it (laughs) that's exactly right i love it and sometimes you get two good ones and then you're like groovy i have two yeah um and a lot a lot of times, a lot of times when you're dealing with issues like that, it's like when you're trying to do skin skin tones or mm-hmm. you're trying to get the right blending and colors it, for like, let's say you're doing a dog portrait or something like that. And you're doing the shading, you know, shading is not just adding darker colors. Shading is adding a variance of colors. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times little things like tiny little insignificant seeming things could be off. But playing around with um, playing around with it, it really, really helps because then you you start to find your groove in the in the piece that you're working on. Yes, yes, and most of all, <laughs> try to have a good time. Yes, that's it's really important that when you're working on something, you don't make the situation worse by. Feeling like a fit, you know, like for two muses, like saying like, okay, I'm currently working on a portrait that I've repainted three times and now I'm going to do it a fourth time. Don't see that as, you know, there is something there that is going to be a learning experience. Yeah. Those moments, those moments that where I have something where I'm working on something and I'm really struggling on uh, a work of art, you know, after coming out of it, after like, you know, kicking its butt. Then, then, you know, it's like you feel like a, you're like, yeah, you know what? Maybe I struggled a little bit, but I, I handled this and it just adds to your confidence moving forward. It makes, it helps you understand that if you get something wrong, if something is not working quite the way you want it to work, 
that you are going to bounce back. In some cases, it might take a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. Um, Some cases, it might be immediate because you've already run into that issue before. I absolutely go into fachunking mode, breaking it into little small bits. When when it's going sideways on me, then I have to fachunk it, work on it, step away, work on it, step away. Yeah. I love, I love what Clover says because I do the same thing. I usually have maybe about five or six mm-hmm. works going on. So when something, when I'm working on something, I'm like, uh, I don't, you know, where you're like, I'm not sure what direction I'm going to head with this. Then I just move on to something else. Yeah. And I think as long as you keep that work flowing, you know, where you're, yeah. you're moving, it's like, you got to be in movement because if not, then it's, it just stops. Right. And that helps keep you in a good place too, creatively. It's really easy to get stressed out when it's going sideways on you, especially if you're on the third or fourth run of it. Yeah. I had a commission. (laughs) I had a commission that I was prototyping in copper. And I want to say I had more than a dozen failed prototypes. And I was like, so I got to a point of like, I'm so burned out on it. I don't, I don't want to try another one for the evening. I put all of my failed prototypes together. I arranged them on my bench and then took like really weird pictures of them and called it um, failed prototypes, a sculpture garden. (laughs) (laughs) And that it was really interesting pictures of all this gnarly copper wire. And then I kind of like smiled and laughed at it and moved on for the evening. And when I came back to it the next day, I think because I ended on that note with something that was fun and funny and kind of pretty to me, then I was able to look at it again the next day. But yeah, sometimes you have lots and lots and lots of things that don't work. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's, it's never, it, it, it can never be considered a failure. It's always a work in progress. I've, I've cut out, you know, where I've painted, I've worked on a canvas, did very heavy texture and then just didn't like the piece. And then I've cut out the elements that I like and then I would PVA glue them onto a new canvas um, and use that as texture for a new work. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, the the thing about it is that no matter what, it's a little harder, kind of like when you're working on a commission because, you know, it's a commission. But even the things where like maybe you're struggling on a commission because a lot of people will be like, well, what do I do with the thing if if I don't paint over it? Um you know, you're able to, you, you could do whatever you want with your art. You could cut it up and, and create something new. Um, so like, it's just, it's never, my biggest thing is like, never take anything that you're struggling with and turn around and use it as a reason to discourage yourself. It's, it's just, it's just a struggle. They're going to pop up every once in a while in creativity And, you know, and sometimes you're used to doing a certain thing when you are struggling with something or like losing perspective and then it doesn't work. That's fine. Just move on to a different thing. Like Jinja said here that she takes a photograph and then she'll turn it upside down and, you know, sideways, sideways. then put it next to a cat, 12 pound drama queen for scale, et cetera, et cetera. Then looking at the differences. Exactly. You just, you just keep, you just keep moving around and having a, having a good time with what, what you're doing. 
Um, I, and don't, don't be precious about it. One of the most useful things for me when I was apprenticing with Rafi's dad for like stone setting and various different things was to know that even though he's been doing jewelry longer than I've been alive, he absolutely runs into problems when he's doing something, you know, often. And basically he stops, cusses, and then keeps going and he moves on and you know and we're talking about problems where like he's setting a one carat diamond and the diamond just goes and just flies (laughs) off into the distance (laughs) and then it's just gone and then there's a little uh dropping of f-bombs under his breath and then he'll go in search of it you know and then he's right back at it yeah and And then if if he found it then he's right back at it if he can't find it then he's then he needs to move on and he goes and he finds you yeah. know a different diamond to set but watching him do that was actually like the most helpful thing i think that i learned from him was like you know if you got to if you got to curse it out and then move forward that's that's what we do clover said there is always an unholy part of a painting my most recent piece i almost scrapped and just kept working for better references and now I think it's my best piece to date. Yeah, absolutely ugly, not unholy, <laughs> or maybe both. <laughs> I kind of liked the, I kind of liked the unholy. <laughs> oh my god, I'm gonna start calling uh, my my painting when I'm running into problems. What is this unholy tragedy? <laughs> Zara said, "Ha, huh, my honey is like that. He lets out steam and then gets right back to it." Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, and that's the that's the thing. It's like we're talking about. My dad was a, my dad has been a bench jeweler since he was 14 years old and he's in his sixties now. Right. So this is seventies, seventies. This is what he's done every single day of his life. He's always worked on jewelry. Um, he is most definitely what somebody would consider an expert, but every time he sits at the bench, he gets something wrong. Cause he's at, he's constantly got new challenges. At the yeah. Bench. Cause yeah. everything, everything is always a new challenge. And and I think that as artists, that's just what we do. We're constantly challenging ourselves. There are things that we know that, you know, I'm, I'm sure that every single one of you has things that you know, you know how to do it with your eyes closed. Chances are, if you do that, that's just a part of a bigger project that is really going to challenge you. Because if it's not challenging, then what's the point? Yeah. Now, I also heard a nifty piece of advice way back in the day that I think can be useful sometimes, which is if you are really stuck on a piece, don't just move on to a different piece of art, like take a break and move on to something else, but specifically move on to something else that you are really good at, that you can just knock it out of the park anytime you do it, because it helps you get back to that place of confidence in yourself. Especially if whatever you're working on, for whatever reason, you have taken it to a place where it's like, oh, I keep failing, right? The worst thing that we do is we tell ourselves, I keep failing at this. I I suck, I suck, why do I suck? Yeah, (laughs) and it's like, you're not failing. You're not failing. Failure is where everything comes to a halt and you stop and you quit. Right. Because and even then it's not failure if you pick it up years later or pick it up, you know, the the next week. It's always just a work in progress. We're always growing. We're always evolving and we're always challenging ourselves. And that's you know, that's the thing. Sometimes challenges are challenging. (laughs) So it's like (laughs) challenges are challenging. So when the challenges are especially challenging, like just. Remember to keep your emotional game on point as much as possible. Obviously, you know, there's going to be things that we that are outside of your control, but like, 
you can always bring yourself back to to good. And that's something to think about because it, it really is what drives us to create is the fact that we enjoy what we do. Mm-hmm. And you could either love the challenge and laugh about it or, um, you know, have it eat you up. So, yeah. Don't as, let your art eat you. Don't let your art eat you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Challenges that's... are challenging. Don't let your art eat you. There we go. Two quotes. Those are good pieces of advice. Oh, my goodness. Clover said, <laughs> I love for new challenges. The day I sit down and it's super easy and flawless, I'm done and bored. Yeah, yeah. me too, Clover. Me too. Charity said, always new challenges. That's what makes it fun. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yes. All right. So hopefully that that was good. So to to answer that question, uh, even though we've just talked about it for half an hour, two muses, yes. We struggle. I've had the similar struggles. I've had things that I've wanted to scrap after like four times of trying it. This portrait that I'm working on now, I am on my fourth try and finally with my fourth try it's coming together because you were like i'm gonna just do me yeah actually yeah that's that was the thing at the end of it i was like why am i overthinking this i'm just gonna do it and see what happens Mm -hmm. and um that's that's for some reason it just it came out the way that i wanted it to come out so that you know the the problem is that when you're doing it and it's not working and then you got to redo it and not working, you got to redo it and not working, you got to redo it, right? There's a pattern there that starts forming and you want to break that pattern and understand that the reason that it's probably doing that is because you're overthinking it and you're kind of focused on all the times that it didn't work. Just, you know, at, at that point I was like, you know what, I'm just going to create a big block of crap. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to create a piece of crap and um, go from there and fix it, but I'm going to create it my way. I'm going to stop trying to create something that I think someone else will like. Yeah, definitely. So, and that's, that's the challenge with commission. A lot of people don't like taking commissions. My thing is if you're going to work on a commission, it should be something that you would want to work on in the first place. And you got to create it for you. You got to create something that you love. And, you know, and then you, you're, sh- for me, when I'm working on commissions, I show it to the, pa- this commission in particular, I kept showing them pictures every time I screwed up. I was like, <laughs> look at this. I screwed it up. <laughs> I keep screwing it up. Myself and the client were both like, we don't see the screw ups, but <laughs> that's cool. Clover, Clover said, don't let your art eat you. <laughs> Eat your art, art. which makes me think of like, well, what if you just threatened your art a little bit? Like, I'm going to eat you for breakfast, (laughs) you know, just threaten it a little and then maybe it'll fall in line. Yeah. I'm going to create my crap and fix it, said Zara. Yes, exactly. Exactly. All right. So, uh, so I think that's, that's a good place to end that question and get started on the next question. Yeah. Another great question from, uh, Kirkman. Uh, wanting to know, should your pricing change depending where you live? For example, say your art sells easily for $1,000 where you live and your art is established, but then you move or you want to move somewhere where no art sells for more than 500 So how to deal with that? That's an interesting question. Um, we So we've done our art career in two different places now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then being in Chicago, like I try to do a, my art career, a pathetic attempt back, back in the day of trying to do an art career. And, you know, I, 
if you read my my marketing book, you'll see the story where I was like pricing my work for like a hundred thousand dollars because you thought you're supposed because I thought that that's what you were supposed to do back in the day, <laughs> and like you know. And then like showing them at a yard sale and then being like hundred thousand dollars, right? Because that's 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 what real art real art is priced at this. That's much. a good deal right there. Yeah. <laughs> so but um you know, the thing that I've noticed is that our prices didn't really change. Well, for me, because of the way I price my work, my material cost and my time are my material costs and my time. So yeah. it doesn't matter where I live. And, and so the workaround for that is to have my, you know, top of the line stuff that's going to be however much it is, whether it's a thousand dollars or, you know, somewhere in that vicinity and then have my work that is less time and material cost for me so that I can offer it at a, at a lower price point. So no matter where I go, I have something that maybe everybody could afford. Yeah. I think that that's the thing is like, I have my pieces that are over a thousand dollars and then I have pieces that are, you know, under $500 Mm -hmm. and it all, it's, it's all about the size and how much time I'm putting into it, what materials I'm using. You know, if I'm using, um, 14 karat, uh, actual 14 karat, um, gold leaf, then that's going to raise the price because the materials are costing me more. But really, like they're just, there really isn't an across the board when it comes to this. And to be honest with you, there really isn't a place. You know what I mean? Like, I know that there's this perception that like certain places, you know, especially if they're a little bit lower economically, that everyone in that place is seeing things through that mindset, but it just doesn't work everywhere you go, whether you are in a high end area or in a low end area or whatever you want to consider, whatever you want to call it. um, You're always going to have people that have different ideas of what something, what something that is expensive is and what something that is cheap. Most definitely. And you're going to always have people that have different budgets to work with as far as their purchasing power for art. So we were, we were warned in moving to this area that this area was economically depressed, which it is um, a little bit. And, and also we were warned that people don't care about art here, but we just had a two month gallery show that was in our eyes, tremendously successful. Yeah, it was very tremendously su- we successful. Had so much support. So like, that's the thing. It's very easy. And this is something that I had to really watch myself, right? It's very easy to jump into the perspective of me versus them, right? Looking at an entire area and basically just equating that everyone in that area either spends a lot of money or everyone in that area does not. I have found that that's just not true. You can't generalize an area because there is always a diversity to that area. Um, it, it just, and I think that that's a lesson that I learned being at the jewelry store. Cause one thing that we understood being at the jewelry store was that whether somebody came in with ripped up shirt, uh, shorts and a dirty shirt, or someone came in in a suit, um, none of that tells you 
what they're there prepared to spend. What they're prepared yeah. to, yeah, like none of that tells you anything. No, you definitely can't make that judgment. Clover said, start telling random strangers how much your art costs. You'll know exactly if it's too high or too low because you'll feel the urge to correct yourself or you'll feel confident in it because the most important thing about selling your art is that you are confident yes. in the price. That yes. is a really good Clover, point. Yeah. that is perfect yep. because that's really what it ultimately comes down to. It's not, if you start chasing what you think the people around you are going to pay for art, then you are going to go into several rabbit holes and you are going to drive yourself crazy. Yeah. This is the reason that people struggle with pricing. So many people struggle with pricing because they think that there's a right way or a wrong way to price. If I price it too much, if I then nobody's going to buy. If I price it too low, then people are going to think that it's cheap. And you're more concerned with what other people think than you. You have to be comfortable with your price and you want to be fair to yourself and you want to be fair to the people that are buying it, it really has nothing to do with how much money they have in their pocket. Absolutely. <laughs> Ginger's cat typed us a message. Oh, <laughs> That's adorable. Thank you, drama queen. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, the thing that really solidified that for me is when we started really getting traction online um, and selling work online, doing the e-commerce thing. Now you're selling to a global audience. You don't know what the economy is like, where your buyers are. Yeah. You have to just be at a place that's comfortable for you. And it really is helpful to have a pretty wide array of price points on your work so that somebody that has a thousand or two thousand dollars to spend can browse your collection and somebody that has fifty or a hundred dollars to spend can also look at your work and not feel completely alienated. Yeah, that's that's the thing. You wanna have something where people don't feel alienated, especially if they if people want to support you, right? They, and the fact of the matter is that to to say comments like nobody around here buys art, nobody blah blah blah, right? You got to think of that perspective. Like, what kind of perspective is that, and is that a helpful perspective? No, it's not. It's a bullshit perspective. Mm -hmm. Unless you've met every single last individual in your area, and you can confidently affirm, well, nobody here buys art. Even then, all you could do is say nobody here buys art yet. You know what I mean? Like there's just no, you cannot across the board make assumptions about what an area is. That's one of the reasons that Clee and I really, really form the mindset of we create our own economy. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what the economy is in the area. It doesn't matter what we create our own economy. We would travel out to different shows and different places. Some of the places, when we did the show in Atmore, Alabama, people were like, that is a waste of time. Why are you going out there? Nobody there has money. It's a town of like 50 people. That doesn't make any sense. Right. And they were so excited, the people of Atmore, to have an art show that they came out in droves. Oh. I'm pretty sure every single person that lived in Atmore came to that show and most of them went home with art. Yeah. It was pretty epic. Yeah. Clover said, uh, I've had store owners straight up tell me that no one will spend 80 bucks on a dice set, yet I am always running out of inventory. Yeah. Booyah. Yes. Booyah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Charity said, I went through and priced all my artwork and then went back and questioned myself. How do you feel confident in your pricing? Charity, exactly what Clover said. Um, 
if you if you cringe a little bit, right? And and you got to understand, right? It's it's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. Mm-hmm. You you are always allowed to tweak your pricing. So there have been, you know, in the beginning when I first started selling art, I, a 16 by 20 canvas, I was selling that for like 40 bucks, right? Um until it didn't feel right for me to sell that for 40 bucks because there was a huge demand. But before that, if I tried to sell it for $80, right? And that's a ridiculously low price. And so I'm not saying to do that, but if I tried to sell it for $80, I was so insecure when it, and not confident when it came to my pricing that I would cringe every single time a little bit telling somebody the price. Mm -hmm. And you have to understand that it's all about your body language. It's all about how you feel about the work and it is a work in progress. So I did things. I, you know, I would look at myself in the mirror and I would say, it's, you know, it's $80, it's $80. And then I would reason with myself, well, why is it $80? Well, it's $80 because, you know, I put in this much work into it. I'm doing this much, this much, this much. And honestly, that's, it's just organically grown for me over the years where like, you know, for 16 by 20, I'm not charging $80 anymore. I charge a lot more, but it, but it took me a while to get there. And honestly, I think that it was because it happened organically. It was one of those things where I could care less what anybody else was pricing their work. I was pricing the work according to me. And because of that, people were buying my work because I was, I was allowing myself to be confident and I was allowing myself to really work through that process. I got a lot of collectors that bought the 16 by 20 canvas when it was $40. And then years later still bought the 16 by 20 canvas when it was $350, -hmm. you know? So it's, it's funny to me that people worry so much about their pricing um, because of the perception, really, it's it's all about you. This is when you're pricing artwork, see it as the opportunity to really take an internal look at how you feel about. Do you feel that you deserve it? All all those kind of things, you know. Like it is, it really is. It is an emotional roller coaster. Oh, for sure, for sure. And you know, sometimes it's helpful to know, you know, know how much money you have in it and materials. Uh, keep track of how much time was spent on it and make sure you're making a fair hourly wage. Um, because if you're not, <laughs> you know, like the, knowing those things helps you know, okay, I've got this much time and, and investment in it. I definitely cannot be below that amount. Yeah. I have to break even, right? And you want to make profit or you can't you won't be able to keep your business open. And that's so, that's your starting point. That's, that's where you're your like, well, point. I know that I need to make this much because I need to make a profit on this. Mm-hmm. And then you start thinking about the work that you put in, how many hours you put in, you know, all that stuff. In the the Rogue Money book, I've got the the four ways that people figure out pricing, mm-hmm. the three ways that people figure out pricing. And then at the end of it, I have the rogue way, which is like, go ahead and calculate all those things, you know, so that you have an idea of what this would be priced if you went triple keystone or if you did uh, by square inch and stuff like that. And then throw that number out and price your work somewhere where you are comfortable with it that you are not going to feel resentment if you sold it because you sold it for 
not enough and that you're not going to feel like, you know, you're putting one over on someone. Definitely. Um, that's, that's how I would interpret it for myself. Yeah. If you're scared to sell something cause you know, it's priced too low and you don't want to sell it for that. That's a huge indicator. And if you feel really, really guilty, <laughs> cringy and guilty are two different things. Yeah. Clover said, absolutely. I'm making sure I have things from one to $120 at my market. this Exactly. Weekend. That's the way you do. Exactly. That's the way you do it. Zara that's the way you do it. said, I used to think small town meant no market and lower pricing, but then found tons of property that are in the multi-million range in the same area. And that was another thing I was going to mention is almost anywhere you live, you can probably find within an hour or two hours driving distance from you an art hub. You know, yeah. if it's not in your town, you're probably within proximity to somewhere that has an art scene yeah. or even a, a budding art scene, or maybe your area is a budding art scene, but you can access, you can still have access to art scenes. Yeah. Um, Kirkman said perhaps having an online presence is the best thing so that in the event no one locally is paying the higher prices, others around the world will. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you definitely, if you have the capability to offer your work on a global scale, um, do it. Most definitely do, do it. it. Most definitely do it. But also remember to have something for the local market mm -hmm. because a lot of your promoting yourself online is going to happen with the local market. Also, if there is a place that is within an hour drive from you where you are also dealing with tourists, if there is any kind of area where there are people that are coming in from out of town, that's the thing to understand that when you're doing art festivals, right? A lot of people are thinking locally, right? Mm -hmm. It's just local. But the truth of the matter is that people will drive in for art festivals People will drive in for little art walks, for markets, for farmers markets. People come here to Oil City from Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. People have come from Brooklyn. We've we've met people that are from out of town that will come into an area. So one thing that I would definitely do is see if you could eliminate from your vocabulary the combinations of, of words that say, the people locally are just not paying enough. Mm -hmm. That that may be true in your experience, but that in my mind, if you are experiencing only that, there is a possibility that you're a good way to explain this is whatever. And this is going to sound really airy-fairy, you guys. Whatever you're thinking, that's what's going to appear because subconsciously you are going to sabotage anything that doesn't fit into your method of thinking. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So you're not going to go to the events where local people are going to be paying the money for the, you know, the, the higher prices. You're not going to see that person. Look, you're not going to strike up that conversation with that person. And the reason that I say this is because that's what I experienced in the beginning. I come from a family that's the of people that I like to say they have their their theories. They have their theories. And usually the theory starts with, well, probably that guy, blah, 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 or probably the people around here don't blah, 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 blah. And mm -hmm. probably this and probably that. And like I had to rewrite that entire narrative. Now that was my own personal thing, 
when it came, it was part of the journey, the emotional journey of pricing and like, you know, how you look at other people and stuff and understanding that honestly, a lot of this, a lot of stuff attached to money, you guys, a lot of the stuff attached to money really comes down to um, the way that you feel about yourself. Totally. And emotions. Like it's just all tied in in there like a like sinew. I don't know if sinew is tied in, but, but you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> Jin just said, uh, "Oh yes, mathing out the best case scenario and worst case scenario, and finding some happy medium is chef's kiss." Indeed, indeed. Clover said, "Sorry for popping in on this so much. I've just been through this in my head over and over. Oh, oh no, sorry, absolutely. necessary. No, sorry, Clover. Everything you've contributed to this discussion is awesome." Yep. Uh, Ginger. Okay. Clover said, yeah, it's a limiting mindset. It is. And you want to live in abundance. Yes. And, and it it really can be tied into what you think you deserve and your self-worth and how you feel about your work. And so building confidence in all of those things, knowing that you deserve, uh, to, to live in abundance and knowing that your work deserves whatever price you've decided it deserves. And being confident in that um, can only help you. Yeah, yeah. Because I'll be honest with you, anything anything that people typically struggle with, right? When when you look at our society, and this is this is like now I'm, now I'm taking this conversation beyond. But like, if you look at anything, whether it's money, love, um, confidence, things like that, all of that stuff has to do with some kind of self esteem struggle that you have. So a lot of people, you look at the money stuff on, you know, well, I have a hard time pricing and they think you think that it has to do with the actual method of pricing. No, if you have a hard time pricing, it's because you've got stuff that you got to work through. (laughs) You got to, you got to work through Mm -hmm. that stuff. There might be some insecurities in there that are, that are either a causing you to price things very, very high because you think that you'll be taken seriously you know, or cause you to price things really, really low because, um, you know, you don't think that you deserve it. So pricing is one of those things that really, um, when you break it down, it is, it is an emotional, it is, it is an opportunity to really, really take a look at your relationship with yourself. And that's, when I look at money, that's really the way that I, that, that I look at it. When I look at pricing, when I look at my money mentality, when I look at anything, it really has everything to do with your relationship with yourself. And that's one of the benefits of being an artist and not having that uh, steady check coming in every week where it's it really is you really have to focus on that emotional relationship that you have with yourself and with money um because it it's it's a make it or break it so things and little things like that like if you're struggling with pricing or you're thinking like what if the pricing is like this much but then you go to this place and you know stuff like that you do there's a lot of logistics involved yes but you also have to really really think about your relationship with money. And in a lot of cases, you have to question and second guess the things that maybe you say that you're not noticing what they really mean, you know? So, and that's why, you know, it's, it's a very limiting mindset to say no one around here buys 
any expensive yeah art. just don't do it because it's closing a door that doesn't need to be closed yeah. essentially to, yeah to say that um and you'll know that you're getting to a good place when people's um reaction doesn't doesn't rattle you doesn't shake you yeah five six years ago hearing you know because you hear it whenever you go to a show there's going to be somebody that thinks your work is too expensive and is going to tell you that it used to rattle me um, at this show, at this exhibition, I had one, two people say, oh, oh, that one's a little expensive. And it doesn't rattle me. And I'll, I would say, oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, it's up there. It's got a lot going on as far as the materials exactly. are concerned. And there was like no weird, icky feeling whatsoever. It just is what it is. So when you can get to that place where it just doesn't rattle you. Yeah. Then you know you're I good. And that's 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 a benefit of doing a lot of shows where people come in and say, Oh, oh well, your prices are too high. And, you know, literally 10 minutes later, somebody comes in and is like, wow, your prices are really reasonable. <laughs> you know? So it's mm -hmm. like, it just, it's just people are different. People have different ideas. They have their own relationships with money. And that's the thing to remember is that when you are pricing something, you really can only focus on you and what your relationship with money is, because you have no idea. If you try to price things or or really think about pricing in a sense of like other people, you're going to drive yourself crazy. Mm -hmm. You're just going to drive yourself insane because you don't know. You haven't lived, you haven't walked in that person's shoes. Jenny said, I've heard so many people tell people they can't charge this much because they didn't go to school. Come on now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's, that's, I'm like, what are you talking about? When you look at some of the great masters and some of these works that are going for hundreds of thousands of dollars, they didn't freaking go to school. Jen just said, I have 75% of a biochemistry degree. Y'all want to talk about student debt, please. Yeah. <laughs> Ginger also said, Ginger's hot takes, you deserve to live indoors and eat food regularly. You got to remember that. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and that's the thing when you're pricing, but when you are going to a show or if you are showing work, that's the other reason that you do want to be diverse in your pricing. Yeah. Always be fair to yourself. Like Jin just said, you deserve to live indoors. You deserve to eat food regularly. Always be fair to yourself. Be fair to other people as well. Mm -hmm. Have stuff that's that's easy for you to create that someone that really loves your art, but maybe at this point in time, they cannot afford that much more expensive piece. Mm -hmm. What do they get to take home with them? And that's why I love, I love the idea of prints. I love the idea of you know, looking at things that you do on a regular basis and being willing to put those out there. It's kind of like those sketches, you know, a lot of times, like I'm, I'm messing around, I'm just doing some sketches on random pieces of paper. And then back in the day, I would throw them away when I was done. And a friend of Not mine, anymore. no, a friend of mine that was an artist was like, why are you throwing those away? Instead of you could, instead of throwing them away, you could sell that for $10 or $20 or something that somebody, I love it. You know, I can't afford a lot of the artwork that you have, but I would love to, the big art that you have, I would love to be able to like buy one of your sketches. So it's, it's just remembering stuff like that. Like, what would you be willing to when you go somewhere and you see something, you know, we've bought prints, we've bought 
whenever we go somewhere, it's not like we're balling out of control, but we love supporting artists. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we'll buy what we can. But if we we've walked into booths where like there's just one price point, $2,000. And if you don't have $2,000, you're walking away empty handed. Yeah. It's so discouraging for somebody that's there that wants to support the artist. Charity said, I have a variety of pricing too. I think overall I'm on the right track. Yeah. Good. That's Congratulations. A good place to be. Sarah said, My emotions were tested last Saturday. My granddaughter allowed her uncle to sell a piece to be sold for one fourth of what I had it priced while she was watching my booth so I could go eat. I was so freaked out. She was supposed to sell my art. Uh, I felt devalued. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's rough. That That's rough, Sarah. And it's, you know, that's one of the reasons that everything needs to be clearly marked and there needs to be an understanding. If somebody sold my art for that much, I'd be like, well, I guess you're paying for the rest of it. You know, it's as as rough as it is. It's one of those things where you look at it and go, OK, what happened here and how can I make sure this doesn't happen again? It's like having a piece um, shoplifted at yeah. a show. You know, and then you you just um, take the pre precautions for the to next to try time. and prevent yeah. that from happening. Cruz said it's like once you can honor the artist within you and price your work as something worth its actual worth, the ego can take a back seat and not get rattled about what others think about your pricing. It reminds me of the self worth issue, like I don't deserve to get paid what I'm worth. Myth exactly, Ex Cruz. Exactly, Cruz. It, it really is tied into self worth. It really is. It really is. Anytime, anytime anybody is struggling, anytime that I have struggled, I'm going to say because I can only speak for myself. Anytime that I have struggled with anything to do with money, it always comes down to self worth. Always, whether it's pricing my art, whether it is paying a lot of money for some, you know, what I consider a lot of money for something that mm -hmm. maybe I need in the studio or something like, like it always comes down to that. And that's that for me, dealing with those things is fun because I know that every single opportunity where maybe I'm struggling with money is an opportunity for me to really take a look at my mindset and see what direction I want to head versus where I might be in that moment. And that's something so good that you just brought up too, because as a buyer or as the creator, both parties go through it, yeah. right? Um, like I need to upgrade a piece of equipment on, in the music studio. And I was shocked to discover because I haven't pulled the trigger, if you will, on this upgraded piece of equipment, because it's what seems like a lot of money to me, that the reason I don't want to do it is because part of me doesn't believe in myself as a musician. Yep. So the idea of forking over that much money, it's almost like, well, that side of me, like the musician side of me is not worth the investment. Right. right. And I think probably a lot of buyers where art is concerned face that as oh, well. Absolutely. They want to make that investment, but they can't wrap their mind around doing that for themselves. There's a lot of, and that's the thing, you guys, you got to remember people are going to come in and we experience it during the wine walk. People came in and they were just, my job there is not to sell the art. My job there is to have a conversation and educate people on the art. That's it. Just educate, just talk to them um, because it just is one of those things where a lot of people think that it's the price that's going to sell the art. 
or that it's the um, uh, selling technique. It's that it's closing and it's not, it's not. None of that stuff really matters. What matters is your art that you create and putting it out there in front of people and allowing yourself to have a relationship with people, mm-hmm. allowing yourself to talk to people about stuff, allowing yourself to educate people on art itself, mm-hmm. you know, on art itself. I met a young man who came in and he was making the jokey jokes um, during the wine walk. And I was talking to his friend and his friend was really in love with the sculpture that I had built, you know, the, the plastic bag sculpture. And he was like, well, I don't really know what I'm looking at. And I was like, it's okay. Um, you know, some people just haven't been educated on the fact that this is not something that is just in a big box store. This is something that someone created with their bare hands. Mm-hmm. And I know that sometimes unless you, you know, it's funny because obviously as artists, we're all like, yeah, of course, everybody knows that this is hand created, but you got to understand like a lot of times people walk into a place and they just assume that what's at the big box store is not, you know, is just a poster and that the things that are in your booth are just stuff that was mass produced the same way. Yeah. They're like same, same. Cause they don't live in that world where they're surrounded by uh, art. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> um, and that's okay. And it is true. Like sometimes people just need a reminder. Ginger said, Cleep pure lies on the not believing in myself. Thank you, Ginger. <laughs> I'm working on it. Definitely. Hi, Leslie. Hey, Leslie. Lori said, thank you. I finally remembered this was on and I have a show this weekend and needed this talk. Awesome, Lori. Awesome, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited about you getting that equipment for the music because it is going to help you. It is going to help me, but I do need to get to an emotional, like, I need to, like, get to an emotional good with it. Yeah, of course, me, when it comes to money, I'm completely irresponsible. So I look over at Clee and I'm like, just buy it, just buy it, buy it, it, buy it, click the button, do it, do it, do it, click the button. And I'm like, no, honestly, I'm going to do it. (laughs) I just need to get to emotional good first. Um, Okay, so... Hopefully those things were really helpful as far as um, feeling comfortable with your price points, no matter where in the world you go. Um, And honestly, I think uh, a lot of us really do have a better handle on this than we think we do. And we just got to do some emotional work. Yeah. Let us know if that was helpful at all, Kirkman. Let us know. Um, And let's just really quick, because I want to get to Rhonda's question. Yes. Um, I know that we're running a little bit long here, but I'd really love to get this uh, answered. Yeah. So um, Rhonda was wondering, how do you price your non-commission original artwork, not prints? I understand that the price should be less than custom work, but how much less? Do you take a percentage off your commission pricing for the same size to arrive at a suitable number? If so, how much? Or do you use a completely different method to price originals? Thanks in advance. Okay. Um, so originals get priced at whatever it is. You know, we just talked about pricing. And, and the different and formulas. The different might formulas, use. right? So a lot of times for commissions, um, it's just, honestly, I just kind of tag on a little bit more because I know that if it's a commission that is outside of my comfort zone, mm-hmm. that it's something that I'm going to be pushing, I know that there's going to be a lot more work attached to it. Mm-hmm. So I... 
and you you kind of know like you you already know when you're taking on a commission you're like oh shit okay this is going to be this one's going to be a challenge mm-hmm. and you know you you add a little bit more if not honestly i if it's something that i know that i'm going to create easily right so like let's say it's one of my bird series and you know you're going to be able to do it without yeah, problem yeah and somebody was to say like um i want to order 3 of your uh, little red bird series, right? That's a series of mine. I create those. So I would charge the same, same, the same. same price. I wouldn't raise it. Now, if somebody wants a commission where they, maybe they want a portrait of a loved one or something like that, right? Now I do paintings of people all the time, right? Then it's usually very figurative, very like expression oriented, right? It's not necessarily a portrait. So when it comes down to that, yes, those are my skills. I can do a portrait. I am definitely going to charge more because I am creating something that is very, very specific. And so I'm going to spend more time on those details. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, and and as far as how much I price it more than the original, I well, just now- kind of base that on... Um, how much work I think I'm going to be putting into it. Rhonda's kind of working in the opposite direction that I go at it. So Rhonda's like knowing her commission prices and then trying to determine what the non-commission prices would be, like how much less they would be. So I kind of go at it like how I went at it was like, these these are the prices for, for my normal work. And if a commission is pretty closely aligned with what I normally do, then it's going to be about the same. If it's way outside of what I normally do, or if it's something I've never done before, I try to think of like, okay, what's the closest thing I've done to this? And like, how long did it take me? And what does it entail? And what's going to be the material cost? Yeah. So I kind of try to gauge it that way. Um yeah, cause, so because really, really, you could work that backwards too. Yeah, like that. I mean, you could work it backwards. The thing is, if you know your commission prices, I again, Rhonda, this this just goes right back to pricing. This question really comes down to that, you know, to thinking to yourself, like, so do I feel that there is more value uh, in the commissions that I create? But my non the stuff that I create maybe has less value, so I should price it at less. That's a good question to you ask. Know? So like the- you you could be same, same, same pricing structure for commissions as for your non commission original artwork. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it, again, the reason that I say pricing when it comes to money, it will always, always lead back to something within yourself that maybe it's, it's a good thing to look at. But mm-hmm. personally, I mean, I wouldn't price, if you have a price for your commissions, I wouldn't price my pieces any less than that. You know, I just wouldn't. The only time that I price more for a commission is when I know that I'm going to struggle with the commission. Absolutely. That's, that's where I fall with it. Clover too. said, I charge the same unless it's something really outside my normal. Yeah, yeah Exactly. Exactly. So that's, that's how I approach it. Hopefully that, that helps Rhonda. Yeah. It was kind of a non-answer. Well, if you, (laughs) if you feel pretty confident in your pricing structure for your commission work, um, then just move it over to your non-commission work. Yeah. Use the same structure um, because there's nothing wrong with doing that. 
um, really. And I think that's kind of where we all fall. Uh, it's really based on time and materials and, and being able to pay yourself fairly and be fair, regardless of whether it's original work or a commission. Yeah. And so they don't really have to play off of one another. They just have to, you know, feel good based on how you price your work. Yeah. Feel good to you based on how you price your work. Leslie said, I price the same. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Like I said, I price pretty much the same unless it's something that is very, very specific. Very, you know, something that I'm, if I'm working on someone's grandma, I know that I'm going to be a little bit precious about that <laughs> yeah, yeah. because I want to make sure that it's, it's, you know, I'm going to spend more time on grandma than I am going to, you know, on something else. Most definitely. And if I'm taking on a piece that like, I have no idea what I'm getting myself into, then, you know, you make your best guess. <laughs> you yeah. go from there and each time is a learning experience. Um, so there's that. So hopefully that helped Rhonda. Um, hopefully so. Yeah. I, it was it's it's a very quick answer and this is something that if you still have questions about that yes. definitely reach out and we'll we'll do a little bit more in depth Absolutely. Kirkman said, thank you. Everyone got some good points. Awesome. Really good. Good, good. All right. So I think that that brings us to a close. So I want to thank the awesome rogues for being here. You guys are amazing. And as always, your insight always adds so much to the conversations. I love having my perspective and, you know, and bouncing it off of Clee's perspective and doing these podcasts and being able to bounce perspectives off, off of the rogue of fam. The, yeah. The rogue artists, the rogue family totally. that are out there is really, it's just a powerful thing. Um, so thank you. Thank you guys so much for that. And um, for everybody out there listening to this, thank you guys for listening to our podcast. It has been growing over the last few weeks and I, I'm just overjoyed at the fact that people are interested in listening to our opinions and the way that we uh, approach the art world and what we do with our art and our lives and all that stuff. So thank you guys so much for listening. And um, for anybody out there that's listening to this for the first time, if you want to subscribe, go ahead and click on whatever subscribe button there is for you to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on and other than that i think we should say goodbye you want to say goodbye clee good day everybody adios